Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to today's podcast. I'm your host, Susan Nay. Today, we're going to talk about communication. Overall, most of us could be so much better at it than we actually are. We attempt to express ourselves and find that what we'd hoped to convey has too often been received in a manner that we couldn't even have expected. With our increased use of emails, texts, tweets, and the like, I see this getting worse, not better over time. Susan Scott, in her excellent book, Fierce Conversations, Achieving Success at Work and in Life, one conversation at a time, shared a quote by William Jennings Bryan that I'm going to paraphrase. Two people in a conversation actually amount to four people talking. The four are what one person says, what they really wanted to say, what the listener actually heard, and what the listener actually thought they heard. Oh, how true. And I'm sure that we can all think of our own examples of this dilemma. And then there are the words that we use. We tend to see people as we are through our own very highly individualized context. And the implications of this is indeed staggering. William Isaac in his book, Dialogue, used the example of the word love. Now, your own unique experience with love will influence whether or not this is a trigger for you or not. We rarely take the time to consider this. Susan Scott shares that the issues in our lives are rarely about the person that we're confronting, that they're almost always about us. And this means that we cannot come out from behind who we are into conversations with others and make them truly real until we know who we are. And this includes understanding those triggers and those internal gremlins. You ever had a bad day at work and take it out on someone or something else? After a tough day of negotiating, I came out and found out that I'd received a parking ticket. It was in one of the organization's lots. Now, We'd raised this as an issue, how difficult it was when you were in meetings to actually leave to move your car so that you didn't get a ticket. And in that round of negotiations, although I kind of had a little kind of memory 
jog that you better get up and move your car. It just wasn't the right timing. It wasn't the time to take a caucus. And so I, I guess I, I knew I was taking a bit of a chance. That said, coming out and finding the ticket on my windshield um, did not invoke very positive emotions in me. Worse, once I got back to the office, I literally threw that parking ticket at my boss. Not one of my most honorable moments. I was really angry and I took my anger out on him. Now, Susan Scott asserts that where there is anger, there is actually fear or, or certainly another underlying emotion. There was definitely an underlying emotion for me. It was about my, it was about fairness. It was about my own work ethic and a judgment I had made. And finally, it was that I really hadn't felt heard. And here I was now out of pocket because of that not feeling heard. You know, it's interesting, but given that my behavior was actually so very out of character for me, it actually initiated the change to those rules uh, and, and actually understanding that there were circumstances in which some of those, uh, that there needed to be something done for when we were actually in meetings on behalf of the employer and we shouldn't be getting parking tickets for not being able to move our vehicles. But what had happened is that I threw what had happened was able to give my boss a real example, not just a perceived whining, but a real example of the negative consequences of a work rule, these parking tickets that just made no sense whatsoever. Let's talk about some other types of conversations. As I shared in a recent podcast on conflict and conflict resolution, Many of us are conflict avoiders. So many of the conversations that need to happen don't, or if they do, they don't go well. I found when I was working as a director of human resources, it always amazed me when there were times that I'd ask one of the advisors to communicate either difficult or disappointing information to someone. And then learned that that advisor had actually sent an email rather than use the phone or ask for one-on-one -on -one time with the individual who needed to be communicated with. That's not how I would have handled it. My part in the learning, because often these situations involve all involved. <laughs> I never took the time to ask why they had chosen to communicate in this manner. Was it fear of the individual's reaction? Were they too busy? Did they not care? All problematic in my mind and would have made for great teaching moments. And that moment that I could have taken would have built rather than taken away from the relationships. And I, I use that as a plural because it was the re relationship between the HR advisor and myself, but also between the HR advisor and the employee that they had sent an email to. Susan Scott asserts that conversation equals relationship, and she's absolutely correct in her assertion. She encourages that when we're able to stay present and listen deeply with our whole selves, not just with our ears, 
And to really work to not allow our discomfort in, in hearing that other person's point of view that we don't necessarily support, we can more effectively truly remain curious and better understand where the person is coming from. And this isn't just effective in conflict situations. This is effective in every aspect of our lives, every conversation that we have. I'm taken to one of the stories in my book, Leadership Inside Out, Effecting Change from Within. I called the story Listening to Hear. And I'd used it as an example of the need to take a breath to be able to sometimes listen deeply, especially when what's being said to you is difficult to hear and creating strong emotions within you. And it was something that had happened between my daughter and myself. She needed to talk to me about me and some of my behavior that was bothering her. And it was a lovely long weekend that I'd planned to have some mom and daughter time. So my initial reaction is not the right timing. Now, after taking a time out, I, I did come back and I listened, but I just listened with my ears. And in a subsequent conversation, thank you to my, my very brave daughter, I've learned how much courage it took for her to have that conversation with me. Now, she did wait for the right time to continue that conversation with me. She expressed concern about a number of assumptions I'd made and also her concern that I was still holding on to some negative emotions. She asked whether it would be helpful for the two of us to see someone to help work through and to work through the emotions. I know you're wondering which one of us is the parent. Life works that way. We do teach each other and we are forever learning. And the assumptions that I'd made about her and, and her behaviors, I'd never asked. Because we don't know what people are thinking unless they tell us. And I'm going to borrow from an episode of a TV show, The Odd Couple, where they talked about when you assume you make an ass, A-S-S, out of you, <laughs> the letter U, and to me, the letters M and E. Now, although I remember The Odd Couple episode, I think I need to have that acronym tattooed across the back of my hand because... I forget it and I do make assumptions and it's something that we do need to be, to be careful of. If I'd been listening with my whole being, truly curious about what my daughter need to say, needed to say to me, putting my own emotions and triggers to the side, and that's not easy, I assure you, it would have been a different outcome. You see, I had indeed held on to the anger and the emotions, even though on the surface, it appeared that the matter had been dealt with. But there was no balance to what had transpired between us. She had said what she needed to say and I had listened. Can you imagine if calmly I had asked her for the same respect and shared my own observations? What if I had taught her to be able to hold the space for both herself and others, me in this case? We can learn how to do this and we model daily the behaviors that we hope others will imitate. Can you imagine if we listen to each other like that? Can you think of a time where you were in a work situation where someone came up to you after a conversation 
and mirrored back to you their own observations with the intent to make an improved situation even better? I want to hear of your examples if you have them. SusanGene at gmail.com. Now, Susan Scott shares that to the degree that we resist or disallow the exploration of differing realities in our workplaces, we will spend time, money, energy, and emotion cleaning up the aftermath of those plans that are quietly but effectively torpedoed by individuals who resent the fact that their experience, opinions, and strongly held beliefs are apparently of little interest to the organization. My parking ticket was an example of that. It was interesting. I was, um, when I did the interview with Ed Seymour, uh, another previous podcast, and he used an example of a griever whose win in the grievance arbitration process was that he was finally able to tell the employer what 20 years of pent-up frustration in the work environment felt like to him. Even though he'd lost the grievance, he'd won the opportunity to finally be heard. A very expensive resolve from so many perspectives, and it doesn't need to be like this. There is a universal longing to be known, to be understood at every employment level of our organizations. I had a conversation with two individuals who have worked in senior management positions within the last week. One expressing not feeling heard in their work environment, and a now, uh, another now working in an organization where he said, I finally feel recognized. This exists from the shop floor, from the entry-level administrative positions, right up to the top echelons of our organizations. I'm also hearing the fear of people not feeling good enough, fear of employment stability, of the vaccinations not providing adequate coverage, protection, of the new variants that are developing, fear of change, fear of returning to the office, fear of what next. And then in BC, we add out of control wildfires in California, similarly in Greece. And of course, the situation in Afghanistan, so many different health challenges. The list is long and it's unique and individual too every one of us. We need to be able to talk about these, to really and deeply be able to talk about these and the impact that they're having on us. It's part of being human. We are social beings and we are rarely being provided or initiating those opportunities. I've been participating in a wonderful dialogue group based out of Scotland. Keith Dietz I call it leading from the future, but I, I believe it's actually leading in uncertainty. As, as part of it, because so much of it is uncertain. As part of our collective learning and discussion, Keith shares postings from the world-renowned McKinsey Consulting Firm and, with, and, and from Harvard. His latest share was that of, it was called Organizing for the Future, nine keys to becoming a future-ready company. This encouraged very deep dialogue to the point that I actually took the time to read the full article. And if anyone's interested, it was published in January 11th of 2021. 
the executive summary version is, is really, it's about the importance of reimagining as we move forward from the pandemic, reimagining our organizations, who we are, how we operate and how we grow. This article, and actually a number of the, the recent articles that McKinsey Group has been publishing, include words like heightened connectivity, more purposeful, more human. These are words that really catch my attention as an HR professional. As do phrases like people longing to belong, employees need for affirmation, social cohesion, purpose and meaning, and how these are going to make the organizations that people want to work within. Susan Scott actually asserts that the next frontier for exponential growth, the place that you will find a new and sustainable competitive edge, lies in the area of human connectivity, internally with staff and externally with your marketplace. That when leaders choose and build the kind of culture that they want the organization to embody, they create a virtuous cycle, attracting the right talent that will thrive in their culture, unlock their value agenda, and turbocharge performance. All fabulous outcomes and outcomes that each of our organizations need desperately and how the people within our organizations need desperately. Susan Scott also notes in her book that what you believe to be true about people affects how you lead and partner with them. What do you believe about people? Are you modeling that? How's it working for you? So how about moving forward with some of these deep listening one-on-ones? Okay, I can hear your heart pounding from here. I know this might be new for you and your team, be honest. Let those you oversee know that you want to be a better leader and that you're interested in communicating more effectively that you're seeking their feedback on how you're doing this and that you need them to work with you to ensure that success. In the book, Susan Scott also shares nine, but don't do it this ways. <laughs> and they're lessons that I wish that I had heard and, and, have, and used through my career. There's always the time to do better. Thank God. Thank goodness. I'm gonna share them because I think they're important. First of all is don't do most of the talking. Really ask and then really listen. Use silence. Don't fill in the gaps by talking. Second, don't take the problem back and don't give your opinion until the end of the conversation. Keep exploring theirs. Third, Inquire about emotions, but ask, what are you feeling? Not, how does that make you feel? If we don't get these emotions out on the table, they do surface otherwise. Fourth, ensure that our messages, coaching, and instructions are clear. Don't leave any of these open for interpretation. Fifth, don't cancel the meeting. You said the meeting was important, make it so. Sixth, don't allow interruptions. You cannot be there for 
prepared to be nowhere else when you are being interrupted by beeps, buzzes, and bells. Seventh, schedule sufficient time. And if you need more, make sure that it happens. Eighth, don't move too quickly from question to question. And I know how easy this is. Slow the conversation down so it can discover what it really needs and wants to be about. And ninth, I think this is delightful. Don't assume your one-on-ones are effective. Remember that acronym for assume. Follow up. Ask. The point is to draw others out with good questions and incredible listening on your part as the leader. And again, it's not about holding forth on your point of view, but about provoking learning by sitting side by side with someone and jointly interrogating reality. The goal is to expand the conversation rather than to narrow it. It's interesting, Susan suggests that we start with, I want to talk to you versus I need to talk to you. See how the tone's different? And because as soon as you say, I want to talk to you, it invokes lots of anxiety, quite traditionally, quite typically. Name the issue. Select a specific example that illustrates the behavior or the situation that you want to change. Describe your own emotions around the issue. Clarify what's at stake. Identify your contribution to this problem. As I shared in Conflict and Conflict Resolution podcast, rarely is an issue just about one person. And we play the role of victim, villain, and her victim, villain, and hero in just about every conversation. It's completely dependent on perspective. It's also important to indicate your wish to resolve the issue. Because people, because of those internal gremlins often, assume the worst. So let the person that you're planning to talk to know that it is your intention to find resolution. And then invite your partner to respond. We really must give to others what we want most to receive. And I think we all want to be with others who leave behind a positive emotional wake. So it's important that we leave that ourselves. Our ability to affect change will increase as we become more responsive to our worlds and the individuals who are central to our happiness and to our success. I've talked about culture and the importance of culture in previous podcasts. And Susan asserts, Susan Scott asserts in the book, you are the culture. And she's right. We are the culture. It's not out there somewhere. It's right here present. We're it. So every time we walk in the door, every time we attend a meeting, every time we have a conversation or send an email, We're enforcing behavior, values, and attitudes that are either healthy or harmful to our company's culture. And when we change our behaviors, 
and we encourage others to change their behaviors, we influence that culture. Take your finger and touch your nose. This is where resolution and change begin. Fierce conversations truly do begin with us and how we show up. And it does require that we model the behavior that we desire from others. Albert Einstein encourages that in the midst of every crisis lies an opportunity. We have the opportunity to do things differently as we emerge from the realities of the pandemic. Why not begin again with your team? Why not take a different attitude and behave differently? Why not remember that you, we are the culture and that we influence with every decision we make, every interaction we have with others? Why don't we make it good? Why don't we begin a culture of having the courage to have fierce conversations as a start to creating a work environment where people indeed feel as McKinsey Consultants research is indicating the need for a heightened connectivity, more purposeful, more human, where people long to belong, feel affirmed, experience social cohesion, purpose and meaning. Those work envir environments will have engagement surveys that rate communication as top notch. And as leaders who are known for listening deeply, wow, count me in. So be the leader, let it start with you. Susan Scott's book provides more, many more details on the how, excellent book. It's one that often comes off my bookshelf for a reread. I've put the information about the books that I've referenced on the podcast show notes. And if you need help with implementation, you can always give me a call. It's part of the services that, that I offer. My contact information is also on the show notes page for this podcast. It is time to fly. I hope these little nuggets of, of my sharing from, in this case, Susan Scott's book, Fierce Conversations, has been of some help to you. I know that most of us can use some polishing on our effective communication skills. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll join me again next week as you, you guessed it, dare to soar. I believe you can. Have a great day. Susan signing out. Bye for now. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review or whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangene at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.